Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straub, and today we are going to be looking at the 10 players or coaches or GMs or whatever's under the most pressure in 2021. To break this down, I'm going to be joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Denny Carter. Fellas, though, before we get into football talk, uh, we, we begin, though, in a place where we never begin. It, a little bit of a baseball controversy has broken out in <laughs> Chicago. I'm going to try to sum, sum this up as quickly as I can. And Pat, you can correct me if I'm wrong about anything. Denny, I think, is pretty fired up about this. Fire Basically, up. White Sox rookie slugger Yerman Mercedes hit a homer off of position player Williams Astudio in a blowout win. They're up 15-4 on a 3-0 pitch. 112-year-old manager Tony Larusa very upset about this. And it, it seems to be... Brewing into a big thing, Pat. Baseball, you know, you, you cannot break the unwritten rules. Well, yeah, the thing is, so T- Larusa is taking all the heat for being the one upset, but apparently, I can't ever pronounce Williams' last name. Uh, he was also quite upset because they did defend his honor by throwing at Mercedes the next right. day. So, for as much heat as Larusa is justifiably taking for being upset, it turns out. Oh, the position player pitcher's honor also really yeah. needed to be defended. So, Denny, 47 I mean, mile, forty-seven mile per hour pitch, by the way, that he right. went yard. It, it was a batting cage uh, deal. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, now I have to say that I came in here thinking that the, that was an actual pitcher, not a position player. So, <laughs> okay. I'm I'm a little bit rattled now. Uh, the, but but you, you you agree with Tyler Russo now, basically, that his own player is out of line for being amazing. Absolutely. Um, Let's move on to the uh, podcast. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this this unwritten rule. What is the guy supposed to do? What, is he supposed to? And in, in, what is he intentionally ground out or or intentionally? Well, that's what I out? don't understand. Well, to me, it's more offensive if he's trying to draw a walk in that situation. Because you know we've all played softball. And we've all played softball. Like certain situations, you're like, if this guy takes another pitch, like I'm going to come out there with a baseball bat and beat him. <laughs> yes, <down."> that's it. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a little much, but I, I I know what you mean. As a softball pitcher, when I when my team is down by 20 in the fourth inning, and somebody takes a pitch this much off the corner, uh, yeah, no, I want to I want to end up in prison. For, <laughs> actually, for, you don't for walk. Happens. You don't walk in a softball game. That's a whole different conversation. Don't, say, don't frankly, walk in a softball you sw- game. if you're taking any pitch in softball, frankly, you need to be banned from softball. Let's uh, you know. I, I, I say this as someone who draws multiple walks. That, yeah. and, that and bat flips, the pettiness of the unwritten rules of baseball, are what irk me the most about yeah. the sport. Yeah. It should be about fun, and literally, baseball 
uh, chimes to never have fun with their rules. But it, yeah. it's it's amazing to to think that that a coach in this case, you know, we call them managers. Apparently, uh, they they side against this guy siding against <laughs> his own mm-hmm. player. He's Good a way to win the locker room. When would this happen? Imagine. In in the NFL, if something like this happened, I actually was trying to come up with a scenario, and I was thinking like a cheap hit or something. But even you know a, a cheap hit that causes a concussion is a whole different deal than just hitting a batting cage, uh, you know, a ball in, in a blowout win. I don't really understand it. And, and Tony Larusa, let me let me get this straight. Tony Larusa hasn't been a manager in twenty five years. No, no, only ten. But oh, still, okay. But but, but he's, he may he's or may 100. not have won the 2011 World Series in St. Louis and gone out in a blaze of glory. What makes it so silly is if it had been a three-one pitch and he'd swung, Larissa would have been fine. But three-zero, it w- it's it's an absolute firestorm. Yeah, can I, I can I bring up a weird disconnect? So like baseball is the one that always gets all hot and bothered and like frothy about these kind of things, but baseball has no rules against it. Whereas the NFL like <laughs> right. has codified rules, like trying to like ban celebrations and taunting and stuff. So it's always interesting to me that the controversies are constantly arising in baseball, but there's literally no written rules about it. Whereas like the NFL like tries to like officially police it. It's a, it's a strange disconnect to me. It reminds me of the Chris Rock joke and how the NBA is trying to appeal to children in the next generation, whereas baseball is trying to grow ivy in Chicago or make a stadium look even older than it already is. They're trying to hold on to the 30s. It's insanely. I, it reminded me in the NFL of Greg Schiano, high T Greg, uh, when he coached the Bucks for 15 minutes and. He had his guys at the end of a game in a kneel down situation go after the quarterback. I forget which one, but it was it. They went all out. the The front seven went all out. Tried to get the quarterback on a kneel down blowout loss for the Bucks, of course, and that was unwritten. That's unwritten, and we all got upset about that. So it, it it's not totally isolated in baseball. I'm just happy we use the word frothy, and I think we can move yeah, on from there. That's, I don't know if we can technically use that. Term. <laughs> I was wondering about that. I think uh, I think it's all right. <laughs> all right. We're going to get to 10 coaches, players, etc. under pressure in one second. First, a little bit of news, though. According to a story in The Athletic, Lions offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn referred to Jamal Williams as a classic A back, capital A. On the surface, that sounds possibly ominous for DeAndre Swift. Daigle, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, What's your reaction to this news? This news took on a life of its own after locked-in Lions Beats reporter Chris Burke spoke to OC Anthony Lynn for a film room piece at The Athletic on the backfield, causing some sites to be unprofessional with clickbait headlines and cite Williams as the primary back rather than just reporting on the situation at hand. So to be clear, what Lynn said was, and I quote, my A-backs are normally my bigger backs. They can run between the tackles, block probably a little better than a B-back. They can also run the perimeter. I can leave those guys in there for all three downs. It should be noted, one, that he actually does refer to his backs as A-backs and B-backs for their size and speed traits. And he even labeled Swift as the speed and space guy later in that interview. But there wasn't a single report on Williams being the primary back. And smart fantasy players and smart readers understand that. The message that was conveyed, that perked our ears, that I'm Denny's very excited to talk about is that Williams is absolutely going to be involved much more than we think, which in my opinion limits Swift's ceiling for fantasy as he continues to be drafted over, and this is crazy, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, etc. on softer best ball platforms. 
I think it's pretty clear that uh, Swift is being drafted not at his ceiling, but above his ceiling right now. And maybe that'll change as as things come into focus in July and August. I'm not discounting that completely. And I and I think with this sort of news, if this if this sort of news continues for the next two or three months, we're going to see Jamal Williams uh, bump up in ADP. Unfortunately, uh, but it was clear. And you know, in the dark days of February and March, we talked about on this show that the Lions didn't sign Jamal Williams to stand on the sidelines while, while Swift got 30 touches a game, you know? Uh, I think Jamal Williams clearly has more touchdown upside uh, in what will likely be his role in the Detroit offense behind a really good offensive line, like like a very, you know, almost scarily good, honestly. And, and it's weird for a terrible team to come into the, the season with a good offensive line. is very strange, but he could benefit from that. And he is, you know, among the two or three best zero RB selections right now. I don't know about in August, but right now. And John absolutely parsed the language correctly. I will say Anthony Lynn, like using very unnecessarily confusing nomenclature. And he probably kind of <laughs> yeah. understood. Maybe he didn't understand. They're so in their own little world. He probably didn't understand how it'd be interpreted. But John did uh, parse it correctly. And it's just the typecasting began for DeAndre Swift last year and it's just because DeAndre Swift could be a three down guy. He could be an electrifying every down NFL running back. And like, if it doesn't matter, like if it wasn't you that originally did it, if some NFL coach, the first coach you ever have like defined you as like a change of pace or pass catching back, this ask Duke Johnson, like it doesn't really matter how many times you're traded, how many different people you play for, how many different kind of offenses you're in. Like it's so hard to shed that stigma. And I just really, really, really hope that is not already happening to DeAndre Swift, who deserves to be more than just a change-up third down back. To your point, Pat, the terminology is so funny. Anthony Lynn might as well have been like, well, Jamal Williams is my number one, DeAndre Swift is the number two, but I don't mean pecking order there. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> the big back is the number one. <laughs> yeah, he could have cleared it up a little bit. I mean, again, yeah. as we know, they have no incentive. It doesn't. He doesn't need to clear it up. I guess it doesn't make any difference to him. They like the confusion, probably. It, it does come off, actually, as worse than that, Matt. It comes off as Jamal Williams is the number one back. DeAndre Swift is the number one back. You know? (laughs) Just like, okay. (laughs) All right. Let's let's get into what we're here to do today. Ten entities under pressure in 2021. These might be these will mostly be players or coaches or GMs, but there there might be a non-football item on here somewhere. We begin (laughs) though with Sean Payton and Drew Brees. They well, Sean Payton, excuse me. We begin with Sean Payton. He and Drew Brees, I mean, they came to the Saints at the same time in 2006. Payton now embarks on his first season as head coach without Brees on the roster with either Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill at quarterback if Denny gets his wish. If the Saints are bad this season, which I think we think they could be, could things turn on Payton, Pat? No, I don't think they could turn. I mean, Sean Payton obviously has a lot of goodwill, like several years worth of like a rope in terms of like job stability. But it's like, in like a lot of ways, this is kind of like a free space year for Sean Payton, in my opinion. Like, uh, who has built up more goodwill? Like, the Saints are one of the laughingstock organizations in all of North American sports before he arrived there. But you know, Sean Payton's not going to view it as like a free space year. And like, this is a win at all costs organization. This is a win at all costs coach. I mean, sometimes uh, infamously so. As we think back a decade, like they do not like losing. They do not like. Uh, not being competitive and like he's at like a real like hinge point in his career because you know he's going on like 60 years old 
he like ushered in, like not ushered in. He was at the vanguard of this efficiency era in the NFL. His quarterback literally several times set the completion percentage record, like this hyper efficient, high attempts passing offense. And now like he has to decide what to follow it up with. And both of his options are not that kind of quarterback and Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. So and like a lot of ways, like Sean Payton will get, like fans are going to understand that you can't just move on overnight from Drew Brees, but someone who's so closely identified with a certain type of offense just does not have those kind of players this year. And like, so that'll be pressure. And then like a team that really been sold out year after year, the past few years was one of the deepest teams in the league for several years that they are not that team this year. So uh, it's going to be a very stressful year for Sean Payton. I have no idea if where if I'm making an argument like, uh, in fact, someone else does come in on Sean Payton here. Payton does have a very long leash, but he's under pressure for us because this is his tallest task to date. Yes, he's gone eight and one the past two seasons with backup quarterbacks, but the fact now he has to choose between Taysom Hill, who is apparently at training camp being used as strictly a quarterback and not a weapon inside the 10, although I refuse to believe that until I see it, and Jameis Winston, who they want to throw in, Nick Underhill has said, at starter. But again, every other team for two years in a row now has passed on him as the Saints have just brought him in for one year give up deals so it's just going to be curious what they see because again the salary cap also struck that their depth across the board we don't know who their number two receiver it is it could be Adam Troutman could be Marcus Callaway Traquan Smith and without Drew Brees there to lean on it's just it's a tall ask for Peyton as much as I respect him I feel like you know the pressure is definitely on for him to succeed without Drew Brees, but like John just said, he's already done that. You know, he's he's gone eight and one with Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill at quarterback when Brees has missed time in, in recent seasons. In fact, I would venture to say, you know, just between us, that the team over the past two seasons has been better without Drew Brees. And they they if they wanted to advance in the playoffs, they would have benched Drew Brees, Drew Brees last year, who was totally cooked. Um, and, and, and so, our NBC teammate. <laughs> yes, Drew. Uh, and uh, I know you're listening. Uh, well, what I'm going to bring him in now. What I meant, when... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jenny, you try to uh, win a play. Uh, you know, as you try to pitch a softball game with 42 broken ribs. Uh, I um, know, I know. I, I actually have a little a little rib issue from golf the other day, and, and I can't imagine how it feels to have 11 broken ribs. Yeah, right good now, luck like, sleeping. Like uh, I, I, I will say this, though. The team is an injury rash away, a rash of injuries away, uh, from, from being completely decimated. Um, they have no depth. The, the beat writers have been you know, alerted, alerting the masses to this for a couple months now that uh, there's just nothing behind the starters right now, and that could be a problem. This like, is they were, they were, Sorry, John. They were just also famous for their depth the past few seasons, right. and now it's gone. This isn't on our list, but I also feel like Denny and I are under pressure for what is shaping up to be just the worst lunch bet we've ever had on this show. <laughs> James Winston versus Andy Dalton. No one is winning that ever. You're going to win. <laughs> it's so bad if I win. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> he doesn't even want to win. He wants to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next on our list, Jalen Hurts, who... In theory, it shapes up as an exciting fantasy option in Philadelphia this season, and you can kind of imagine what things look like in a best-case scenario. The problem is we don't appear to be in a best-case scenario. Among other things, there was a recent report from the Philadelphia Inquirer's Jeff McClain that it, quote, remains to be seen whether head coach Nick Sirianni will install run-pass options in the team's offense. 
that seems like bad news for Hertz. Daigle, how do you see this situation and the setup for Hertz overall? I mentioned this on our week one spoiler cast, but just in case someone skipped that episode, which you should not do, I'll repeat the Eagles' disastrous schedule that does not set up well for Hurts as they travel to Dallas for Monday Night Football mid-year, return home to host the Chiefs on short rest that Sunday, travel to Carolina the following week, turn around to host the Super Bowl champion Bucks on three days rest that Thursday, and then travel for five of their next seven games. As much as I love Hurts, he is even my QB7 overall in best ball tiers on the site right now. I do understand that with four picks in the first two rounds next year, also with the schedule and the fact that he gets one chance to show that he has it, he could actually be benched mid-year, which would be very unfortunate. I mean, he's under two different, he's been under two different kinds of pressure this off season. Cause at first it looked like they weren't going to like give him any help whatsoever. Like there was a lot of talk about them drafting a quarterback and it was kind of like, they were just going to throw him to the wolves and be like, listen, if you're awesome, that's great. Uh, then we'll worry about that later and start building around you in 2022. But like we've got like bigger fish to fry this year. We're thinking about our future and like, this is on you. That didn't develop. Uh, but now like, so they've got him some help and Devonte Smith, they added a good third down back and Kenneth Gainwell, like the, the weapons, which are always good on paper in Philadelphia, somehow never good in practice uh, oftentimes because of injury are decent on paper. They have given given him some help. But as John said, they still have got like one foot out the door looking to the future where we know they're going to be very closely evaluating quarterbacks for 2022. And there's still just some element of that. Listen, if you're going to be awesome, you do that. But I'm not really going to help you. And coming from the quotes from Nick Sirianni, (laughs) where like he's just like basically saying, you've got to do great in my system and I'm not going to make my system fit you, which is just insane coaching. Even if you think a player is a one-year starter, to maximize your odds of winning. Of course, you should be tailoring your offense to the strengths of your quarterback, which they still might end up doing. This could just end up a few unfortunate spring quotes, but it just certainly seems like the Eagles are like, like the ball is in your court, Jalen. Like if you want to be awesome, that's great. If not, we're moving on next year. I will say that uh, it it does seem like Jalen Hurts is headed into the season with the right mindset, according to his comments this week about, I believe it was uh, the rent is due every day, uh, something along those lines. Which is again, yeah, it sounds a, like something you would earnestly tweet every day, right? You're into that kind of stuff. What, when I log on, the rent is due, you know, and I got it. I got to pay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, he he. So he knows, you know, he's not coming into the season thinking that he's got 17 starts locked up because he certainly doesn't. You know, I I've kind of joked that Joe Flacco will start the season. Uh. Uh, I don't think you, you were know. joking. I don't think you were joking let's, when you said yeah, that. Let's, let's let's just this is the second mind. Denny part we have to edit I'm, out of the podcast. I'm going to continue to say this so that we can clip these and and send them out in August when <laughs> Nick Sirianni says after you know lots of consideration, Jalen will hold a clipboard. Uh, and, but yeah, I mean, there, I think there's almost no chance that he's going to start the whole season. He's on. Uh, uh, he has very little leeway, and the the comments from Sirianni, who seems like a an odd kind of guy. <laughs> Uh, is uh, are, are they're they're a little disturbing for you know a quarterback a, a dual threat quarterback who's great for fantasy maybe not great for reality football and I think Sirianni kind of sees that. You may want to give your dual threat some RPOs, according to uh, anyone who's ever observed 
modern yeah. ball. I really, I want him to succeed. I just want to be clear about that. I really I mean, like Jalen Hurts. Gotta say, there was a vicious subtweet of Denny uh, this morning, <laughs> by the way, when former NBC employee Adam Levitan released uh, Joe Flacco in our dynasty league. So, know, uh, wow. a vicious subtweet of a you. broadside. <laughs> Uh, Falcons went all in on Matt Ryan for the time being, restructured his deal, not taking a quarterback with the number four overall pick. Remains to be seen whether they will ruin my life and the lives of all Falcons fans by trading away Julio Jones for cap space. Either way, it seems like Ryan is pretty much in the old win and you get to keep your job situation here. Is that how you look at it, Denny? Yes. Uh, You know, I mean, I know not every quarterback can play into his 60s like Tom Brady, but it it does seem like... Matt Ryan is not at the very tail end of his starting days in the NFL. I think the Falcons could easily get two or three more good years uh, out of him. As for Julio, I think he's gone. Honestly, I, I, I just I don't see a scenario where they're going to hold on to him. Just if you just read read the tea leaves. I'm sorry, Matt. By the way, I, I apologize in advance. But if you if you read the tea leaves and you read Terry Fontenot's comments, he doesn't do anything to shoot down those rumors in fact he encourages them yeah, he's embracing them yeah <laughs> seems like a problem to pass on justin fields and mac jones at number four and pivot to aj mccarran instead is basically reassurance that they believe in ryan this year but i would imagine this is why he's under pressure because it's this year and that's about it they couldn't cut him anyways they would have taken on 40 million in dead cap space had they just released him whereas next year they can actually save 8 million against the cap and at 37 years old at that time though i don't think that is that old in today's nfl as brady continues to play well into his mid 40s uh, it would definitely signal the end of his tenure there because if they fail this year, they are absolutely going to lo- look to rebuild, even in potentially moving Julio Jones to the trade deadline if they are failing to that point. I'm going to reiterate a point, like something I basically have take lock on, I think, like a point I make over and over again that I've never seen made anywhere else. And I'm not saying it's because I'm smart. I'm saying because it, it might just not be a thing at all is that he just truly has not looked the same to me at Matt Ryan since his high ankle sprain midway through the 2019 season. And part of that is because he's an elderly quarterback behind an offensive line. They just cannot get right. Um, but he, he, he has looked different to me since he got hurt. He only missed one game. Uh, but he, just has, he has looked different to me since that injury in 2019. And Julio, I, mean, I didn't – so I, I knew like that the Falcons had a, a bad cap situation. I didn't realize it was quite as bad where they literally couldn't sign their draft class bad. Like that's pretty rare. And that probably would not have happened without the COVID stuff screwing up the salary cap for this year. So in some, it's bad management, but in some ways it's also bad luck. But yeah, it seems like as Denny said, I mean, the, the GM is just like he's embracing this. He's trying to let he's clearly trying to like ease the fan base mm-hmm. into this traumatic idea. And he seems as good as gone. Also, if you are doing these million dollar best ball tournament payouts that I'm already tired of because I can only <laughs> galaxy to galaxy brain so many <laughs> terrible lineups to try and be one in 155,000 that wins the money. Uh, you would want to stack Julio with either the Colts, Raiders or Patriots offense. Those are the three teams it looks like that are the true contenders. And Too ruin your Kendrick Bourne <laughs> stacks, John. Uh, and you know, if this is galaxy brain for you, we need to get Denny in the room with you. Cause I mean, coming up with bad lineups, that's like what he does every day. Every I have to say though, John is, John is on top of it. John, you know, he turned me on to Aaron Rodgers and the Broncos, you know, I, I haven't thought of anything else since he said that, you know, and, and now, now it's, it's Carson Wentz and Julio all day in best ball. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> Pat, you mentioned Matt Ryan hasn't looked the same since that high ankle sprain. I haven't looked the same since multiple of you told me that Julio's as good as gone. I feel sick. <laughs> I don't know if I can continue, but we're going to try. The Raiders did head-scratching things at almost every turn this offseason. As we talked about recently, also an absolutely brutal schedule. Toughest in the league, I believe, uh, or close to it. So John Gruden makes our list as an individual who's under pressure. By my math, if I'm right, he has seven years left on his 10-year deal. So, Daigle, how much pressure is Gruden really under? That's true. I don't think they'll get out of it no matter what, but I will say that he has to do at least something this year. Uh, Just think about what the team has vested into him so far. The confidence to relocate from a rabid fan base to a street of transplants that care more about whether Marshmallow is playing in the club downstairs <laughs> than how the team performs on the field. A 10-year, $100 million contract that's resulted in a 1929 record three years in. And then, of course, the $2 billion stadium that goes along with relocating. From the outside looking in, Gruden and Mayock once again just whiffed the draft as they did together last year too. And when the league's toughest schedules we talked about in the past in Vegas's season win totals matches against that regime this year, it's very clear that the pressure is on in the first year in this new stadium. It's just so, by the way, he has 70 million left on his contract too. So that's, you know, it's a lot to swallow. I don't know if the AD and the boosters are going to be willing to pay uh, that buyout, that's it's just a horrible college football joke. Uh, it's it's weird, though, because he's just shooting himself in the foot because John Gruden – so we were talking about Tony La Russa returning after 10 years to manage baseball. John Gruden was turning about after 15 years, and to me the scheme has honestly been fine. Like the stuff he's achieving with Derek Carr is like not easy to do. He's turned Derek Carr, the best years of Derek Carr's career, you know, continually not having a great receiver core and still like having like a fine, efficient offense, but – like any momentum they get whatsoever in terms of roster building, like John, they just wreck every year in the draft. And this year in free agency, you know, the totally kind of like baffling and kind of out of nowhere, like rebuilding of what was a solid offensive line. They just, they're talking about, they are just galaxy braining everything in the front office. And it, if Gruden had just been paired with a legit, like he, he talked about someone who just needed a replacement level personnel mm-hmm. guy, basically like any one of like any one of these retreats, probably would have been better than what they've locked themselves into. And he's just, he's destroying any chance he has of success with these just completely like genuinely baffling uh, front office moves. I'm reeling over your use of the term retreads. Yeah. Is it retread or retread? I always said retread. I say it's one of those words that I write all the time and I never say out loud. I thought about that too. I wasn't going to mention it, but here we are now discussing it. I think it's retread. There we go. It's retread sounds a lot. Double down. Stick with retread. Never say retread. What are you talking about? I I did the YouTube pronunciation. (laughs) Retread. It it sounds like you're trying to. (laughs) Anyway, um, the, the thing with the Raiders is that they make everything harder than it needs to be. Like with the drafting uh, Leatherwood in the first round, the offensive lineman, I mean, (laughs) right. And Mike Mayock came out and said, um, people are going to hate this. Yeah. (laughs) We knew people were going to be triggered. He did say that. (laughs) And we knew that he could go later, but we didn't care. Uh, And it doesn't need to be that difficult. Like, you know, he, they could have just hit, Picked him in the second round. If I were them, I would have simply picked Leatherwood in the second round. Anyway, uh, it's it, it just over and over. Uh, uh, you know, free agent signings. Let's not forget about signing an absolutely washed Jordy Nelson. 
uh, when when not even here. I'm like, wow, I, missed I was like, that. wait, they did no, that no. again. Wow, no, 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 no. I, I I can never forget that because. Jordy Nelson, you know, coming off like very old, coming off a, a, a devastating injury. And Gruden's like, yeah, of course I want J- Jordy Nelson. You remember how good he was eight years ago? Uh, <laughs> so it was, you know, it's all been downhill. But I actually, you know, th- if you think about it, uh, Gruden's not under any pressure. He can just keep screwing up for the next seven years and nothing will happen to him. Completely fair. Danny, by the way, yeah, you're right. The the triggered much is not really a good draft strategy. <laughs> and they are really going all in on the triggered much strategy. Also, first round draft capital running back, and then this year paying the most to a free agent running back in Kenyon Drake. But he's a receiver, they said. No, no, no. He's apparently a receiver. They need to be back. He's a receiver. <laughs> Who was Kenyon Drake, by the way, are we ever going to get to the bottom why he was such a bad receiver in Arizona? It made no sense. Um, but uh, triggered much, guys? Huh? <laughs> Sounds like you're triggered. Uh, are you mad that Mike we burned first round yeah. draft capital on a guy who could have had 45 picks later? <laughs> uh, at number five, I believe we have a NFI, a non-football item to discuss. Pat, do you want to set this one up for us? I think you brought this one. Well, yeah, I was put under pressure to come up with a non-football one, and I didn't really want to devote time on the show to this, but... Uh, the people making the microchips for these PS5s, like if this thing's not ready by September and I can't play the new FIFA on PS5 and I have to do it on PS4, uh, I'm going to be triggered. Yeah, I'm going to be triggered a lot. And I uh, thought I thought you were going to go down microchip vaccine lane. I was like, nope, oh we're going on <laughs> no, to the no, next no, time. Yeah, no, no, the, no. the look of relief uh, on Daigle's face. I was like, nope, uh, yeah. not doing it. Whatever you want to call them, microchips, semiconductors. If I don't get, granted, I have not looked at all for a PS5. For for a Um, terrible individual like me who doesn't play video games, what what is the what does the microchip do? (laughs) Is that how you phrase the sentence? Like one of those do aliens do? It's just like one of it's like this all the transistors that makes like all the magic happen in the phone. Apparently, it's a problem with cars. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're gonna get too sidelined here, but I went to Target the other day. Uh, where I had been recognized as a celebrity, as you may remember in the past. Someone recognized me. One time, yes. Target. One time. Didn't happen this time. But I asked the guy, you know, what's the deal with the PS5? Is it still impossible to find? He said yes. And then he told me, if you're listening to the podcast and you're thinking about buying a TV, you need to do it now. Because he told me that Target is like literally out of TVs because they can't make them right now because they don't have the semiconductors and the the microchips. So uh, going to be a long summer. If you, Apparently, if you want a car you want a TV or if you want a PS five by September when FIFA 22 comes out, I love how everyone gets vaccines. The pandemic is slowly coming to an end and it's video games and TVs that are sold out. <laughs> yeah. And we have no so, gas. We have no TVs. What's next? <laughs> yep. I do think this is going to be a problem for NFL players who love, you know, who love the game, who love the play. That's true. Yeah. I mean, these guys don't have their it, PS5s. That's their kind of how they wind down playing Madden. A lot of them do play FIFA. We're um, going to have to adjust the ranks on the on the younger players. That's a, it's such a big staple in hard knocks. That's like every player, when they go away from camp, they all just gather around in the same room and play video games. Dude, there was a, an icon, to me, iconic moment on hard knocks where Chad Johnson and Reggie Bush, the, the Miami Dolphins hard knocks were playing in FIFA and Chad Johnson was just stood up and was just yelling at his player, saying, what are you doing over it? Which I do every week when I play FIFA and a very iconic moment from the 2011 Hard Knocks. I once, just one more thing on video games. I once heard Ray Lewis 15 years ago say that he on off days would pay, play 12 to 16 hours of Madden <laughs> straight. 
And he said, that's a semi-common thing in the league. And I have never forgotten that. (laughs) That that, that does stick with you. Yeah. Wow. A 45-minute video game session. I'm pretty cooked. Like, I got to go take a walk. 12 hours? 12 hours? 12 hours. I I would faint. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Okay, we want to remind you premium products at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports so you can get access to NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB premium products all under one umbrella for 10% off any subscription. Enter the promo code GOOD10. And we continue our top 10 with the New York Giants and Dave Gettleman, who finally joined the Trade Down Club in this year's NFL draft. The Giants, however, have a 15 and 33 record during Gettleman's tenure. Is anything short of a playoff berth enough to save his job, Danny? I actually do think so. I actually think that even if they don't come out of the NFC East, which, you know, with Dak Prescott back, with Washington Im- improving uh, this year, or, you know, just, just putting a, a semi decent quarterback with a good roster. I think that it becomes increasingly uh, difficult to come out of that division. So I don't think he has to make the playoffs, but I think that somebody's got to show improvement, including Daniel Jones. I mean, da- Daniel Jones uh, was absolutely miserable was uh, last last year. What did you say? I said he was atrocious. Yeah, uh, on, in in every way, in every way. Um, as a know, player, as a person, <laughs> just, no, not as a person. He yeah, seems like a good guy. Just, he does. He does. Uh, but yeah, so he's he has to show improvement. The offense has to show some improvement. I do think the Gettleman can survive a non-playoff uh, year, but I, I don't think he can survive a backslide, you know, a four or five win season. I don't know if he can survive a non-playoff season because at some point, like these do become self-fulfilling prophecy. Like even if like the front office believes in the guy, like when the cacophony like continues to build amongst the fans, it seems like they have a difficult time ignoring that. But I have like a triggered much take I have is that Joe judge seemed to really kind of actually like install, like instill like the right tone on his defense last year. And he seemed like maybe he might actually be kind of a good coach to me. Uh, maybe like has like retrograde ideas on offense, which is bad since he's supposedly like an offensive mind. I guess he's actually like a special teams mind, which is very rare in the NFL, of course, but like, he seemed like he kind of actually did establish the tone he was looking for with his team. And it kind of boils down to like, is Daniel Jones even remotely good? Because he's, he's, he's out of, uh, sorry, John, but he, like, he's out of uh, 
excuses on offense at this point because he has an amazing skill core at this point. Even in having 22 interceptions and 29 fumbles the past two seasons, Daniel Jones, uh, I wouldn't even say I'm out on the idea Gettleman wants to run it back once more. He did spend the capital that only he would have spent on Daniel Jones inside the top 10. But to to not double down at least on the offensive line and instead roll out Matt Pert and Andrew Thomas again, it's that's the concerning part here is that he just added receivers. He didn't really make the situation better for Daniel Jones, who has str- consistently struggled under pressure. So I'm, I'm still terribly worried and just think they went about it the entirely the wrong way and, and just cementing a better offensive line for Jones. You'll be sorry when Leonard Williams uh, plays guard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, and Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, That's a good end. point. Yeah, don't say they didn't add any blockers. Um, uh, all right. Now to Pittsburgh, where Ben Roethlisberger enters his age 52 season with questions about his arm strength, whether he can pilot really anything other than a total dink and dunk attack and essentially hold the Steelers offense back. Assuming he's healthy, Daigle, is this – going to be Ben's job no matter what? I mean, would they would they dream of replacing a healthy Ben? Well, you know who their backup quarterback is if it's not Ben, right? The guy who got his head dented by his own helmet. I mean, outside of Daniel Jones, Brian Hoyer, uh, trying to think of the list. Oh, and Ryan Finley. Like, Is Duck Hodges still around? <laughs> <laughs> he, he is. He, he signed with someone recently. He's not on the Steelers, though. I mean, Dwayne Haskins is the worst quarterback we've seen among that group. So... It has to be Roethlisberger, unfortunately. And I brought this take onto Bet the Edge this morning as I had a lean on the Steelers-Bills game in week one. So I'll just recite it here. I truly believe we're just one year away from the Steelers going through a complete rebuild in 2022 and that this is the year to bell on them as the castle crumbles. A disheveled O-line that's throwing a third-round rookie into the starting center spot, thinking they could rebuild their running game with a first-round running back. Any first-round running back. I like Najee Harris. I think he's going to get a ton of touches for fantasy, but the offense is probably going to be atrocious. To think that 39-year-old Ross Berger can return and just suddenly be that first half again, and we can just ignore the second half and treat it like that is certainly wrong. Also, Mike Hilton and Steven Nelson, to be gone on defense and think you can just replace those players off the free agent wire is incorrect. Joe Hayden, of course, also 32 on the final year of his contract. So I am out on Rossberger and I am out on the Steelers as a whole. And yes, that's why he's under pressure because there's no one else to play behind him. They don't have a choice, but to play him. Yeah, it's funny. I thought you were talking about Mason Rudolph and you were talking about Dwayne Haskins. So that's going to be mm-hmm. a hell of a camp battle for the number yeah. two <laughs> quarterback spot in Pittsburgh. And, John just hit on it like a lot of these. So the offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL. Uh, the defense is on the the downslope, but despite those like very obvious alibis for Ben, like he will be like, if the crumble happens, he's going to be the face of it. And he is under enormous pressure, like in the very rare, like a 17 year franchise player. And they made him take a pay cut to return. So like he, he's being set up being kind of understandably. So being set up as the fall guy, if this doesn't work and, it was not working at all in the entire second half of 2020. The the crumble uh, started last year and will continue into this year and probably get worse. When you mean that much to a franchise like Ben Roethlisberger does to the Steelers, I guess you can go out on your own terms. Just like we saw, you know, many, many years ago with, with Dan Marino. You know, Dan Marino probably should have retired three or four years before he did definitely before he lost uh, 63 to seven in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's the conclusion. And that's, that's the, the future 
that Ben Roethlisberger is headed toward is, is a humiliating exit from the league. Uh, and it starts with week one against the Bills for sure. I will say the Steelers under Mike Tomlin have never posted a losing record. So uh, interesting. Uh, yeah. it, it's still also just an issue like the Cowboys that they they take the backup quarterback situation and move it to the very end of their offseason priorities when it should be at the very top of the right. list. We saw what has happened now with both of those teams last year. Um, it's just insane that they decided to do that yet again after the second half of last season. I actually think that Tomlin is is all is such a, a good coach in figuring out ways to win and, and ways to to muscle through struggles that Roethlisberger could have a, a disastrous season and they could still sneak like sneak into the playoffs or something. You know, I, I you know, and I'm what I'm saying is you know Roethlisberger is headed toward a, a bad ending, whether it's being benched or you know just just really being exploited uh, um, on the field. They will acquire Nick Foles, and he will lead this football team to glory. Carson Wentz is coming off a disastrous 2020, led the league in interceptions and sacks taken. The Colts are giving him a chance to prove that 2020 was an outlier. You guys have basically already given him Julio Jones to throw to, which I don't (laughs) want to discuss anymore, so please don't bring this up in your Wentz discourse. But, Pat, how much pressure is Wentz under in 2021? A lot. I mean, anytime you need to prove you are not one of the worst players in the league, which I feel like is the situation Carson Wentz is in now, because, I mean, he was just straight up one of the worst players in the NFL last year. I mean, definitely, if you factor in the importance of his position, I mean, no one was worse in terms of, like, how badly they face-planted, just like a complete implosion of a once-promising career, a career that was always kind of, like, it always seemed like there's a little more going on that meets the eye. Like it's just a straight, like a guy who he, you know, he too, he can't fall back on like, Oh, he's such a great guy and locker room leader where he's like basically admitted like a lot of those, like what were behind the scenes rumblings about him being a bad leader were true. Mm-hmm. So he's got like to fix that. He's got to fix being just a terrible football player uh, last year, uh, but he is in the right situation. The Colts skill core is not, like amazing it would be much more amazing with julio jones so he doesn't have like this like ready-made like cast to like prop him up but he is meeting up with the coach that he's had his most success with and frank reich uh, a coach will be on his fourth quarterback in four years so someone who knows how to like adapt and like, remake his offense on the fly someone who will not be daunted by this challenge and frank reich but yeah anytime you have to prove that you are not one of the worst players in the nfl uh, you're under a lot of pressure Third most fantasy points per game, of course, from 2017 when he was, when he was an MVP candidate under Frank Reich, whereas last year he was a backup quarterback and led that position and sacks taken, interceptions, and fumbles. The issue really? for me is it, it, at his position. The issue for me, though, is that it's hard to parse through Reich's words because he's high on every single player on that roster. If you just w- look at their mini camp reports, like Kalen Granson is, is the next Gronkowski. Like mm-hmm. apparently he's just going to be used on every single down and that's just not possible. <laughs> so I'm still concerned, which is clearly under pressure because, and I'll keep going back to this point, the conditional pick is so important. The fact that if he does not play over 75% of the team snaps, they don't have to give up first. They give up a second to the Eagles instead. And that's going to matter so much whether the team is good or not, because by like week 11, week 12, if they're out of this thing, um, and we've talked about their issues in the past and how they just drafted incorrectly, uh, have issues on defense, then yes, they would bench wins. It makes me hesitant to draft him as like a desperation third quarterback in best ball. Right With now. Julio Jones, yeah. 
Well, not, yeah, exactly. It sounds like you guys really need to be stacking Sam Ellinger and Julio Jones if you really want to get serious about winning wow. this thing. This is, this is uh, galaxy brain stuff here. Uh, the the excuses will officially run out this year for Wentz because, you know, something that we heard from people who may have been apologizing for Wentz last year, although they were few and far between, was that he never had any time in the pocket and that the Eagles off, offensive line could not keep him upright keep, and and give him a, a nice pocket from which to throw. The you know last year, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, PFF graded the Colts' uh, pass blocking uh, as the seventh best in the league overall. The Colts uh, had the eighth best offensive line in the league. So he he's entering a situation where he should have that time that he enjoyed early in in his career. And if he can't get it right, if if Frank Reich can't fix him. Uh, get him back to some sort of form uh, in that scenario, in that situation, and uh, he has major problems going forward. I will say that I am out on the Colts deck, but I have seen some very sharp people around the industry be in on them. So, And, of course, this is, again, for the deep, large-field best ball tournaments. And 12-mans, though, I'm more than happy just skipping out. Urban Meyer comes into Jacksonville with the number one overall pick on his roster in Trevor Lawrence. He also invested first-round draft capital on a running back in Travis Etienne. Obviously, a lot of excitement for this team's new beginning, but what happens to the good vibes, Denny, if they go, let's say, 3-13? and 13, And how much yeah. pressure is on Urban Meyer in year one? So the season is going to start out like this. Um, Jacksonville is going to win by 27 against Houston in, in week one. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence is going to throw three to four touchdowns. Uh, Etienne's going to score. He's going to, you know, catch seven balls for 100 yards. It's all going to go swimmingly, okay? Uh, and and it's going to, you know, Urban Meyer's off to a roaring start. And all the haters and all the analytics nerds who said you can't pick a running back in the first round. Well, where are you now? You know, it, it's going to be a rough. I'm I'm prepared. I'm going to wear a helmet uh, in week one because I'm I'm prepared for the Jaguars fans to just be, uh, you know, uh, going for blood there. From there, I don't think it works. I don't think it works unless you're playing like bottom bottom of the league competition with the roster that he's piecing together. And the uh, apparently like completely naive approach, or, or what did we say? Oh, what did I say the other day? Uh, uh, the oh, overconfident hubris, the hubris that he's hubris approaching this, right? And, and I I don't I don't think that works. I think that he has a lot of rope to work with. I think you know he he, he could be really bad this they could be really bad this season probably next season and he could still hold on to his job with with very few rumblings about his job security um but man it's it has been an inauspicious start for urban meyer yeah, you were taking triggered much roster building to its logical conclusion when you signed 33 year old tim tebow as a tight end and he's one of those guys he's another one of those guys who should be under an immense amount of pressure but like I feel like there's almost nothing he could do this year to like, and it, it, he probably has three years minimum and he's off like the worst possible start aside from getting the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. And he is urban Meyer is an all time great football mind. Like, I'm, like I don't really think that is up for debate, but he's just you know, when you, these college guys come in and take the guns blazing approach in the NFL, it just, it fails basically every time. And, it's going to be a matter of basically, will he learn the right lessons from 2021 or like, will he have just enough success where he kind of like doubles down on the, the approach he's had this year? Uh, the approach the, this seems kind of like almost NFL clueless. Um, but he is, 
you can't totally bet against Urban Meyer because he is actually like one of the greatest football coaches in American history. Uh, it's just a matter of if he can figure it out at the NFL level. It wasn't just hubris with that first round pick either. The whole entire offseason screams of overconfidence and hubris. Like Pat said, signed a 33 year old outfielder to play tight end, drafted a running back in the first round, even though they had a perfectly acceptable one that had 1,400 yards from scrimmage last year. Tyson Campbell, a cornerback in the second round, who actually only played 68 snaps from the slot in college, but that's where he would play in nickel packages between Shaq Griffin and CJ Henderson. Tyson Little, their other Walker Little, their other second round pick, hasn't played since Stanford. For his 2019 regular season opener due to recovering from a torn ACL and then opting out. Whereas their other third or third round pick, safety Andre Cisco, also tore his ACL last September. Um, it's just a it's just an odd number of decisions they've made throughout this offseason. Having said that, I really think though, even though Urban Meyer's under pressure, Trevor Lawrence just solves all. I think he's going to accidentally drag. Uh, Urban Meyer to the postseason, or at least to a divisional win, because the concerns we have about the Colts, uh, the Titans having zero star power on defense, just a bunch of warm bodies out there. And then, of course, the Texans not mattering. Um, the division's wide open accidentally. You think they're going to win it this year? I would love this take. Let's get it out there. I, I do think they are the best betting bet to win the AFC South this year. I frankly don't think it's insane uh, either, uh, but it's just, yeah, he's not, he's just, he, they just, they do this over and over and over again. Either the college guys or the people like Gruden, who like had past success and come back, they just make things so much harder on themselves right. than they need to be. Cause this could have been, I mean, it still could be, as John said, a, a very quick rebuild, uh, but they are not making it easy on themselves. But uh, by the way, the torn ACLs, that's the Trent Balky influence. Absolutely. Um, you're not going to get drafted in that town unless you've torn your ACL a minimum <laughs> of one time, preferably <laughs> twice. Jeez. I think you guys are really underselling Tim Tebow's potential as a, as a breakout <laughs> tight end this year. It, he does. Uh, Matt, look, I, 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 and I'm not you know, a big fan of the signing or whatever's happening there, as players apparently are not either, but uh, he enters what could be the worst tight end room in the history of the NFL. So, you know, good for him. You're on stacking that, on him with who's the Jags backup that you're stacking with Tebow in these large tournaments? <laughs> the uh, backup quarterback or backup tight end? Backup quarterback that you're going to stack with Tebow. I'm stacking with thing. Mike Glennon. Just, oh, not a stack. Sorry. Mike Glennon's <laughs> gone. Uh, who uh, is it? Chris Manhurts also, by the way, is going to clearly make the roster because he's a run blocking tight end. But that's why he would not get in the way of Tebow, who I've seen some people say zero chance he makes the roster. Uh, Nepotism is a pretty strong thing, buddy. I don't understand that take at all when people say he has zero chance. He's definitely, he's 100% to make the roster. You need to hear first. He's already on. I I forgot. They still have Gardner Minshew. They should probably trade him. But a stack Minshew with Tim Tebow if you want to win this thing. I'm going deep with Jake Luton as the as a if he's still around. God, he was that he's the fifth quarter worst quarterback I've seen in the past two years. <laughs> they also have CJ Beathard. They got a lot. There's a lot. Uh, oh wow! The kids might say there's a lot going on there. All right, number ten on our list. The Panthers are all in on Sam Darnold to the point that they passed on Justin Fields, but at the same time, he's basically it seems got one year to make it happen. So Daigle, it appears Darnold is set up for success given the coaching staff and the skill players around him. How do you think he is going to respond? It's just tough because 
I don't even think he was rated highly as a prospect coming out. He was 20 years old. He was the youngest starting quarterback in NFL history on that week one Monday night football game where his first throw was a pick six. Uh, And then had a turnover tendency his final year at USC, 13 interceptions and nine lost fumbles. But I disagree with the sentiment that believes he hasn't flashed at all in the one year prior to Adam Gase because he was so good off the cuff and out of the pocket when he was healthy in his rookie year. So I'm still high on him. I've talked about all the time how Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady uh, schemed career high in passing yards for Bridgewater against the league's toughest passing schedule last year. So I am still very much in on Darnold, like we talked about in earlier this week with stacks as well. So he's under pressure because he gets one shot at this thing, but it's the best situation to get one shot with. They did. I mean, it's weird. Clearly he's like, uh, he gets one shot for the starting, but I guess this is roster spot secure for 2022 because they exercised his option and those they, are they fully did, guaranteed it's now. Only 19.1 million. I think that's really easy to move on from. Yeah, and like I mean, clearly he, he's he's not getting two years to prove he can be the starter. Right. So it is a true like one shot to be the starter. I just I just feel like it's doomed. Even with this amazing setup, those players who come out of college, like known as like turnover machines, which Sam Darnold was at US, they just almost never grow out of that. And this is gonna be a great test case because the supporting cast and the coaching staff he's working with, like truly, if they can't do it, no one can. But like he he's like uh, he's like the test case for like the interception guys because if they can fix him, then maybe anyone can be fixed. But I think I think it is a tall task. Providing hope for Jameis Winston. For Drew Locks everywhere. Yeah, for Drew Locks. Uh, so it feels like the Panthers, who came into the offseason, uh, determined, bound and determined to find a long-term answer at quarterback, played it the worst way possible. Uh, they were all in on Deshaun Watson when that became not no longer viable with the, the legal issues he faces. They panicked. It, it seems like they panicked. They acquire Darnold. They pass on Justin Fields, which I just don't understand. You have this team owner and David Tepper who, who is reportedly obsessed with finding a quarterback and he falls to you in the draft and it's all set up. There you go. It, it happened. And they say, no, that blows my mind. I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, I, I have talked on this show about how much I like Darnold's spot this year for fantasy. I mean, don't I think, get Denny wrong. He has him in every single draft. He's, <laughs> right, right. Um, he's a bad player. So I'm, I'm all in, <laughs> uh, you know, and, 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 you know, just being surrounded by, by so many weapons, pretty good offensive line. I, I, I do think that we could, he could be really fun for fantasy. I, you know, he's probably not the long-term answer. And I think that the franchise will um, be set back years from, you know, j- j- passing on Justin Fields. It was a panic move. There, it seemed like to be a textbook panic move acquiring because yeah. they they gave up a decent amount too, probably more than they needed to. Um, and it, it seemed like a textbook panic move. They're they're absolutely just sitting back for either Watson or Rogers next year. Right. All right. That's or the maybe end. Rogers this year. By the way, sorry, oh. Matt. I just had to cut you off for this, of course, for but, that point. Uh, the Carson Palmer, Aaron Rodgers thing. That's going to happen in Carolina, and I think John is onto something. That's the end of our list. Anything to mention on the site before we get out of here? I have uh, a piece from, well, not from, it's written by me, uh, where it's a <laughs> Q&A with Sean Siegel, the godfather of Zero RB, many are saying. And uh, he he answers a lot of the questions that I had to shore up my faith in anti-fragility as a cornerstone 
of fantasy football drafting. It seems to have been uh, very well greeted on Twitter. So check it out if, if you get a chance. Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, back with Pro Football Focus's Ian Harditz and established the runs Justin Herzig, who won the Best Ball Mania tournament, 200K last year. We're actually going to do, since he won the big tournament, we're going to do a 12-man small league with him uh, to promote better ROI because a lot of people are only promoting the million-dollar tournaments that you're not going to win. So we're going to do it best and do it just a 12-man league and tell you how to stack up accordingly. Rookie dynasty rankings still out there. I'm really hoping I get the coach rankings done before I have to get into draft guide season. I will, I'll let the folks know on that one. Denny, but, Denny has to go get gas. His alarm just went off, so we got to get going. <laughs> it's pickup time for school. <laughs> All right, that's it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks, guys. Thanks to all of you for listening and for watching. If you're joining us on YouTube, we will see you next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.